Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. You've all sacrificed so much to be here and be a part of this thing we're doing. This crew is made up of couples. It's the first ever large-scale colonization mission. We're making history here. You hear that? What? Nothing. Covenant, do 
Hello, hello, hello. This is the Next Reels Film Board on Rash Pixel FM. Each month, the gang of thugs gather together to spoil a movie that just opened in theaters. I'm Steve Sarmento, and I guarantee you that I am not a product of the Wayland Corporation. Tonight's film board is communicating across the vast American West Coast, and because we don't have any atmospheric storms, we hopefully have clear communications tonight with our chief medic and most likely to die first, Pete Wright. We don't leave Earth to be safe, Steve. And don't disobey his orders, Captain Andy Nelson. Excuse me while I pull these alien embryos out of my throat. Before we go any further, go check out all the fun stuff about this show and its sibling shows at thenextreel.com. Go subscribe in your favorite podcast app or join us on YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Reel. And you can join the ongoing conversation of The Next Reel crew and fans over in Slack if you sign up to support us on Patreon. Yay, Patreon! So tonight... The crew of the colony ship Covenant, bound for a remote planet on the far side of the galaxy, discovers what they think is an uncharted paradise, but it is actually a dark, dangerous world. And when they uncover a threat beyond their imagination, they must attempt a harrowing escape. Ooh. Is that what what we got? You know, like Prometheus, this one really frustrated me. I think it frustrates me so much because there are so many really interesting elements in the film that could be doing something great and making a really fantastic film that gives you a lot of things to think about, uh, excites you, thrills you. Um, but in the end, I just, I don't think that it gels at all. And it was, uh, it was a frustrating watch and weirdly it was also just very, um, uh, uninvolving. And, and I think that may be the thing that frustrated me the most is the fact that I didn't even have like a real thrill out of it. At least in Prometheus, I had, uh, the the um, the scene where she was uh, you know doing the abortion or the extraction whatever you're calling that and it was it was it really had me on the edge of my seat this one had a couple moments but you know in the climactic moments there was nothing ever that got me really thrilled so on the whole um, I left this feeling um, feeling a little frustrated. So I was right in my prediction that Andy's chest was going to burst open in anguish. Pete? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm I'm there, too. I I think this movie makes me more sad than anything else. There are a lot of things in here that I I really enjoy as individual elements, and uh, that's all great. But, you know, the way I hear it from various interviews, uh, you know, with people in and around Ridley Scott and uh, and his, his, you know, his team, and Ridley Scott, I think he even said this himself, that that they added the alien to this film because there was so much blowback against Prometheus for being largely alien-free, right? I mean, it just was a very different movie than what fans expected coming off of the four other alien films in the universe. And 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 I, you know, I get the feeling that that was probably pretty frustrating for, you know, Scott and team, that that they were trying to ask some different and bigger questions of, of the universe. And, and uh, it feels a lot to me like Ridley Scott's sort of midlife crisis movie. Like, we're going to go ahead and process the meaning of life here and where did we come from and dig some big big you know holes for ourselves and try to get out of them and uh and due to that blowback we come back to this let's shoehorn more aliens into it and so for me this movie was very much a double feature right there's the big questions part of the movie that follows on prometheus and there's the alien stuff and the biggest sin of the movie and the thing i keep hanging my hat on in spite of all the stuff i actually do like about it is that it wasn't scary. And I feel like that comes with some weight because I'm a guy who usually gets scared at scary movies. So I feel like I should know. And I was not scared at this movie. I went with my brother and my father-in-law and my father-in-law was just, he was so pumped. He was ready for 
something that was going to be really scary. And at the end, he's like, eh, it was sort of milk toast. And I, I have to agree. There wasn't that edge of your seat suspense. And it set up all these things of all the tropes is I reflected. And I thought the, the basic, you know, sort of archetypical story they're telling is like the mad scientist. You've got the crew that crash lands on a, you know, strange place. There's, you know, a weird environment and dangerous animals after them. And there's this mysterious savior that lures them back to his, his, you know, fortress. And then they discover he's not really a nice person and he's using them for his experiments and they've got to flee and escape. And I thought that's, that's a story that's been told a lot and it didn't do a whole lot that was do with it other than layering this alien framework on it. I didn't have that many jump scares or suspenseful, terrifying moments, which I expect from an alien film. And we get a, a lot of this philosophical piece around David that felt like, I think you're right, Pete, a, a different story. And I, I think that's the story Ridley Scott's trying to tell. And I, I think he tried to appease the audiences by like, well, I'm going to answer the question of where the alien comes from. I mean, we, we get that, question now resolved without a doubt we know where this iteration of it comes from finally but it wasn't as satisfying as i think everyone was hoping that it would be it's i think it's a step up from prometheus but it's it's still not you know the fan pleaser that i think everyone hoped it would be and i think you're right ridley scott's got some some plan for what he wants to do and i don't think it's the direction that the fans want you know, from his movies anymore, or at least this franchise. Yeah, it feels very much like he is uh, trying to shoehorn this like philosophical conversation between uh, man and and their creator. And, uh, you know, this is something that he's really trying to uh, that that Scott wants to talk about. Um, and I just keep getting a sense that he's really interested in that idea and that theme but um, I, I don't know. I'm struggling with the fact that he's now kind of pushing all of that into the the world of Alien and and making those themes fit here because I just don't know how much I like that. I, I you know it's they're interesting ideas, the concepts about uh, the you know the creator and and kind of the way the the role that David ends up taking in this particular film, I think is pretty interesting. and And Michael Fassbender, certainly as David and Walter, might be my, my favorite thing in the whole film and just the conversations they had in the scenes and very interesting stuff going on there. Um, but, uh, but again, it, that's the stuff that, um, I, I found interesting, but it also, it didn't make for a great horror movie. And I just don't think that, um, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm frustrated that Scott not only, um, returned to this world, uh, that he started off in 1979 with alien, um, in Prometheus and now this, but also that he's planning on doing like two or three or four other films to kind of continue. And it just, I don't know. It's just very frustrating. Yeah. You know, that's a, that, that's a point that I, I feel like I really want to hang on because this is the irony, the stuff that I feel like didn't belong in an alien film is the stuff that was the better part of this movie. Right. Like I would absolutely go see a movie with Michael Fassbender talking to himself about the meaning of life. Like he's, absolutely. He, this performance hung on him and the cast, in fact, uh, you know, I, I've I've been reading some critiques about the cast being bloated. There's too many people, whatever. I, I actually didn't find that 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 was bothersome to me. It, it was a little chaotic at times. And I feel like they had to to uh, resort to some rather sort of uh, crazy techniques to involve everybody on screen 
it got a little bit too busy from time to time. I, but I didn't find myself totally distracted by that. The, the challenge that I had was when they really tried to amp up the horror part, like the thriller part in the, you know, the end of the second act, third act, and it just became a disaster, and it, it just sort of fell apart in spite of great work that these people are doing on screen, right? I, I, I feel like I would see both of these movies, but when you slam them together, it's a high jump, low ceiling moment. Well, I think the, the problem with this is, you know, going back to the source material, you had, you know, the original Alien film was sort of like the, the closed room suspense, you know, horror film of you've got everybody confined in a finite space and there's a monster there and that's all it's about. But now we're trying to create this much larger universe that, you know, logically makes sense with all these other films that other directors and writers have cobbled together in the eighties and nineties. And we, you know, the audience is looking for a way for how does this all make sense? What is this universe? And we're creating this like cinematic universe franchise off of material that I don't think ever asked for that. And the strength of alien is about those characters and not about this larger universe and these big philosophical questions. It was about how these different people react in the situation and whether they're going to survive or not. And there's elements of that in here that are interesting. I like some of the, the dynamic of the crew because we've got married couples on there because they're going to colonize this new planet. So you've got, you know, people that are in relationships with the other so they can populate this new planet. And I found myself after watching it Friday night, going back online to look at all the, the sort of like prologue videos. Cause I avoided all of that before going to see the film. And there's interesting scenes with this crew on the ship before they go into deep sleep. We see with more, Elizabeth. Yeah, I think we see like James Franco has more screen time in that prologue than he does in the actual <laughs> film. And you you get the sense of the dynamics of of the crew of, you know, he is the captain. We see his role there and we get a little bit more of a, you know, a sense of Orem as sort of the, the next in line and his relationship with the crew of how he doesn't fit in it. It starts there and we're, we're missing all that in the film. And it leads me to, to wonder about how this all fits together because you've got the film, but you have all this supplemental material that I think is maybe just marketing fodder, but there's so much interesting story and character there that I wish made it into the film. Because for me, that's what I liked about alien so much is those interpersonal dynamics between you know, you've got, you know, Tom Skerritt and Sigourney Weaver as sort of the command structure. And then you've got the, the blue collar guys. And, and that is interesting. And we have a little bit of that here, but it's left, you know, very flat. You know, it doesn't give us an opportunity to care about these people as much as I think I wanted to. The the thing that I find so frustrating with these last couple of films, uh, Prometheus and this, is uh, the characters aren't written very well. They're idiots. They're, and it's just... I don't understand why they're having such a hard time writing characters that make sense and do things that are logical. In the original films, the characters like were doing logical things within context of what they were setting out to do, and I enjoyed that. Here, I feel like they're struggling with trying to give characters like you know idiosyncratic quirks or things, but it's just making them dumb. I mean, you know, if you're going to go start exploring a new world. 
uh, you're not going to be flicking cigarettes out and uh, you, you know just they do these stupid things and it's just like who are yeah. these freaking idiots you know it's you're a research party you're not going to light up as soon as you land i mean it's, you're learning about a new environment ah it's just the it same was, thing it, in Prometheus. Oh, it just makes me pull my hair out. It was it, you shouldn't. You shouldn't do that at all. <laughs> no, uh, I, I've already. Look, I'm done. I, <laughs> <laughs> you've, uh, so you've seen this movie before. Look, uh, Alien. You know, and and again, I've I've already said it. it the, the number of people in the cast didn't necessarily bother me, but I think it's important to note that Alien, uh, the 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 intensity of Alien hung on the fact I I would suggest that there were seven people in that core cast right on that ship there were seven dallas ripley lambert brett kane ash and parker and then alien right so and i guess you could include mother but really seven of the core characters that we care about that we are we get to know uh we get to understand we get to really spend time with them and invest time with them uh in this movie i count 14 and that gets us to you know through Rosenthal, like it's and and I'm I'm counting Fassbender twice, right? So that's a lot of characters that we have to um, that that we sh- are expected, I think, and in, intended to uh, develop some sort of a relationship with. But I think that's one of the places where the film fails. It is extremely rushed uh, to to uh, move these people through the narrative, uh, and so when. We lose them when, we, when they start falling off the radar. Um, you know, I, I don't think we've had enough time to care uh, about any of these folks. So I, I really struggled with that, just feeling like they were trying to just shuffle me through. It felt much more like a ride at Disney, you know, than anything else. Like just get get through, get on the ride, enjoy it, and 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 get out, and and never really have time to to invest. But it's it's two hours and two minutes. But see, that's what I mean. There's too many people. If you're going to expect to, uh, us to invest in each and every one, but they gave all these people names. That's too many damn names. <laughs> well, it's a lot of people, and I, I would argue that they're not wanting us to invest in all of them. But I feel like we're not investing in the ones that we're at least supposed to invest in. And I think that's that's my issue I have. Because, I mean, if you look at Aliens, I mean, there were a lot of characters in that one. I mean, we had so many military people that, you know, you're I mean, when Warspowski all of a sudden gets killed, you don't know. You can't, can't remember who Warspowski is, but uh, it's it, you just know it's another name. And but somehow I end up caring about so many of the characters in the Aliens film um, and I care about so few of them here, and it is still a large cast. I just don't think they're written very well. Yeah, I, I would. I guess I would agree with that. I think the context is different when you're talking about this this ship full of married couples. You know, like there there is a different kind of relationship that we are are coming than than when you have like a bunch of soldiers. We have our primary characters, and there's one main soldier that we need to understand, and there's one administrative officer. The core cast that we really care about in Aliens is much smaller than fourteen. They gave everybody names. They we had. Everybody had kisses in the corner. Like anytime you see a couple kiss and it closes up on the on them, you know one of them's going to die, and you you should be able to keep track of that. Like it, it was just telegraphed really poorly, and um, and and I think that that um, I, I really think they wanted us to keep track of more than we were capable of keeping track of. It was just too big. Let's let's step back and, and sort of I guess look at what this story is. If we if we go back. Because we're we're all in the middle of everything, trying to connect it back to anything. But if we look at the story that they're trying to tell, so if we look at our first shot, which is we've got the, an extreme close up of David's eye, and we we are now back pre Prometheus, we're at the you know creation of of David. That's where we start. We've got a short scene there, and then 
our closing shot, we've got David again. And it's it's really his story. I think between Prometheus and this, we're getting an arc about that character and everybody else is, you know, either cannon fodder <laughs> to be chewed up by yeah. the alien you know, there. It's, I think that's really what Ridley Scott's trying to do here, and he's he's using the you know familiarity of the alien universe to sort of create some dynamic tension and you know action sequences. But it's really about where David starts, the mission that he's given at the beginning that we see here of like you know trying to find humanity, trying to find its creator, and he takes that mission and just keeps it's it's what's propelling him through both of these films. Well, and it's, of course, you know, a little, maybe a little on the nose, but of course, at, at the very end, as we end, he's playing uh, Wagner's Entrance of the Gods into Valhalla. Yes. As, as yes. he has now become the creator, right? Yes, exactly. So I, I, you know, looking at, okay, what is this story trying to tell? Because anybody that's, you know, sort of in between that is, you know, it, there may be some interesting stories to them, but it's not really what our takeaway, I think, is or what the intended takeaway is, what's this larger arc? So do you think that that he, that he that Scott intended us to keep that narrative or that central sort of question about David and his journey to uh, ascension, do you think Scott intended us to keep that in mind through the course of our two-hour experience with these people? I think well, it's pretty transparent. Yeah. I mean, it seems like that's it's right there in front of us the whole time. I mean, we, we get that as our opening scene, and then... Yeah, he disappears for the bulk of the film. When he shows up as our as our mad scientist, we sort of see what he's been doing for these past 10 years. And I think that brings us, you know, to bring us back around to what his quest and objective is, um, sort of as this now deranged scientist on this mission to create sort of the perfect, you know, creature and what his purpose is. But I think all the philosophical pieces in there, I think it, it just muddies the waters because I'm not sure how I'm supposed to feel about it. I don't have feel like there's a point of view that I'm supposed to feel. Is David this, you know, somebody we're supposed to root for as carrying on the mission of, you know, the whatever engineers, if they created humanity and humanity's created David and it's a, you know, sort of a continuous improvement process. Are we always creating something better than ourselves or striving to? You know, what does it say about the what he's created, the, you know, the xenomorph? What are we supposed to, how are we supposed to feel about that? Um, you know, what is it saying about, you know, man's quest for meaning, uh, you know, an artificial intelligence? We see the difference between David and Walter, how they take away that ability to create because they're too human. So in, in the, the Walters, they don't have that ability to create. And I just don't feel that there's enough to give me the, the cues as to, how I'm supposed to feel or what he's trying to tell us about this David story arc. That's that's really what I was thinking. I, I think that, that, you know, when I asked the question, does he want us to keep this in mind the whole way uh, across the narrative of the film? I think you're right. I think it is, it, it's, you know, the elements are in front of us, but it's clumsy, and it's clumsy enough that it doesn't feel like he has sewn up the story by the time we reach the closing shot of of David walking through the, the, um, the colony ship. And, uh, like, we've been through an awful lot to get here, uh, but I'm I I still feel unsatisfied at the path that I took. It, it was not a rewarding path. No, it's it's him taking this path of of storytelling that uh, that he wants to do. I mean, and and yeah, I think I think that is exactly what he is intending. What Ridley Scott is intending in in 
telling the story this way, but I don't think it's working. Um, and I think it's going to be uh, very frustrating as this series continues. He has, you know, I, I think he's made a big stumble in taking the George Lucas midichlorian route um, to to tell these stories. Yes. Oh, yes. And that's, I, I think that's just, uh, for me, it's just getting more and more frustrating as he continues. What does work in this film? Because I, I know I, I enjoyed pieces of it and I peaked. Pete, I think you said there are parts of it that you enjoyed. So, I mean, we've been hammering on the flaws in this film, but what are the things that are that are working well in the film that makes this? Is it is it entertaining? Is it something you're going to return to? What what does work, or is it a complete waste? There there are interesting things. I mean, the stuff you know with between David and and Walter. I think those there are some interesting conversations to be had there. I actually think that the uh, the scene I found most uh, interesting. Um, in regards to one of the uh, the xenomorphs or the neomorphs, whichever one it was, is uh, is when um, the uh, uh, Billy Crudup's wife takes that one idiot back to the, the their little dropship, and you've got that just kind of tense situation between the three uh, the three humans there as that alien is birthed. Um, that I, I think there was some interesting stuff going on there that um, you know that uh, could have uh, been a little stronger, but I still enjoyed that. Um, some of the characters, um, weren't too bad. Uh, I, uh, you know, Danny McBride was kind of an interesting, uh, bit to throw in here. And I liked that. Um, I, I like that there is this bigger world that is being, uh, you know, developed. I just, I, like Pete said, it feels very much like there's two movies happening here and I, I kind of want to see both of them, but as separate films. And I think that's what's frustrating. I liked the bits of David dropping the, uh, the the canisters of the, the the virus on onto this society of these engineers. I mean, right. I, I, I want to see more of that stuff. I, see, I want to talk about that scene because that really pulled me out of the film because we David was narrating that to Walter about what happened, you know, ten years ago, and we're basically getting a flashback. But what we're not getting, we're not getting what David's told us. We're getting what actually happened. That he dropped the canisters, destroyed you know all the engineers, and it, it felt out of place because I'm like everything else is we're there as like omniscient viewer, and all of a sudden we're now like in David's memory of what actually happened, which was sort of jarring for me because it's it would make sense if what I'm being told matches with what I'm being seen with with what I'm being shown, but I'm getting something different, and it to me it felt I don't know a bit contrived like this was a scene that maybe had been intended for the beginning of the film, you know, maybe more chronological to see what happened. But that scene really bothered me because it just didn't fit with how the rest of the film was presenting itself. Well, and I should, I should clarify. I'm not saying that these scenes um, didn't bother me in one way or another. That, that scene certainly did bother me for the exact same reasons. But what was happening within that scene, I found so intriguing. I, oh, like sure. there's there's yeah. a lot of interesting stuff happening there. And that's yeah. that's why I'm frustrated with the film is because I like so many of these pieces. I just don't think they were used well. This is a this is a problem I had with that scene too, and it's it's overall with the the film and the franchise that I'm really finding myself struggling with. And that is I wonder what it would be like if we were introduced to a world in any of these alien movies where it had it was finally clear 
to the universe and beyond that in fact these creatures exist and they're horrible, right? We, every <laughs> single movie is a stinking origin story and I'm tired of it. Like, oh look, the ship is traveling through space but we've got to check out that one thing right there and uh, there's aliens on it. You know, this is an incredibly familiar thing and um, and and I'm, I, I found myself really struggling with it. What I liked about that scene and what I found hopeful about that scene is that there was a point in the prequel verse that in fact a civilization knew all about this stuff right that this was a thing that that existed in the world they knew what what they were doing whatever they were doing that came off of prometheus we you know is there ever a chance we get to explore more of that because that i'm interested in uh and then david kills them all and now we don't get that and so i'm i'm really frustrated by that i would love to see the next alien universe uh, or the alien uh, story start with a, a, a story where we don't have the the Cassandra. I mean, that, that was Ripley's entire gestalt, right, was the Cassandra complex. She's the only one who has who, who knows what this is, and nobody believes her until it's too late. That's the They all think she's nuts. That's her thing. Now, what is the new thing that we're going to get? What is the new thing that, that's going to give us something interesting to look at in this world? And this just, it, it just every corner it, it it turned it it was it, it didn't execute on that now what did i like i do want to get back to that question uh i i really think that the character performances in spite of script challenges in spite of the you know having too many characters to actually feel like we have an emotional connection with the the character performances were uh really quite good and in fact michael fassbender I, you know as you guys have both said i mean michael fassbender was terrific in this he was really interesting to watch had he not been in it i would have really struggled i think uh and i was deeply surprised by danny mcbride i i don't know what i expected but i really enjoyed it uh i thought he was he was really fun to to see and hear he was like what was the guy what was the guy in the abyss with the the big bearded guy who ran the crane and oh yeah uh, you know what i'm talking about i liked him too and it, it's a very similar kind of character trope and and uh i i really enjoyed it i think uh, i think a lot can be said for for the characters on uh, for the cast the whole david and walter performances for michael fassbender really carry the film and make it worth seeing for that although because <laughs> Because he's doing a British accent and an American accent, and when I hear him do his American accent, I'm immediately cast back to you know the movie Frank because of the American <laughs> accent there. <laughs> and it, it bothered me at first. I'm like, why does he sound like he sounds familiar? Oh wait, Frank. Okay, he's not gonna he's not gonna start singing and put on a big paper mache head, right? Okay. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was listened to a I listened to a, a Nerdist podcast, and he and he was being interviewed with uh, with Danny McBride um, and. That was so crazy because I don't think I've ever actually heard Fassbender speak in his his native accent. And it is not like anything I've ever heard him do on screen because it's not British. Uh, it's 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 Irish like he's he's Irish, but born in Germany, moved to, you know, so I mean, he's he's been all over the place. And so his accent is a complete hodgepodge. Uh, and and I think that that is probably what gives he's got an incredible ear, and and that gives him yeah. I think a lot of flexibility um, to to do these things. And in spite of how much we think uh, Walter sounded uh, like Frank, he sounded different than David every scene, and that yes. is that we absolutely have to call that out because that's really hard to do. Yes, no, I mean I think that's just you know his you know expertise you know yeah. and. Everybody, you know, in, in Prometheus, you know, for him to play, you know, sort of the synthetic, the android and how he he pulled that off. And then now to do two variations on that, 
uh, is, is really interesting because you've got Walter, who's sort of your u- utility, you know, droid there. And then David, who's that almost like Hal, you know, f- from 2001, the yeah. one that's gone a little off, you know, and doesn't quite realize that he's gone askew, uh, sees, you know, logic in his madness. Um, but there's a sort of that that calmness under the insanity that makes him scary, um, which, I, which I think comes through really really well and this um i, I it, will say regarding him though that i was bothered that they also pulled the uh the cliche oh of, yeah, oh yeah. it's a fight who oh but we're gonna Which cut away before it? we know yeah yeah and then it's like and, and then it it was so infuriating because it's like well of course it's gonna end up being david even yeah. though he had to cut his arm off so he looked like walter and fake it um, it, it just sets this thing up that is silly. And, uh, you know, I was talking about it with my wife afterward. I'm like, if they're going to pull that, I mean, it's so it's such an obvious trope. Why don't they at least just show it to the audience so we know, but then the other characters don't or something. So at least it just felt different and not just like the tired old cliche that it was. I, I wrote in my review that Covenant, in, particularly in the third act, is a poker game where all the players are holding their cards face out. Like this yes. film telegraphed <laughs> everything in the, especially yeah. in the third act every corner and please how many times do we have to off another cast member on the kill floor like the number of shots back to a character with their gun drawn coming through the curtains into the little laboratory the bio samples like underground cave of horrors I, it was it actually i was bored by that the number of times people went to okay it, it, it just wasn't sinister no it wasn't at all even, but but that was the thing about the whole film. It never felt sinister. I mean, the other Alien films had me on the edge of my seat. Um, this one, nothing. It was flat. Yeah. I mean, you get that last bit of the Alien. I, I don't know what happened to Catherine Waterston's character, uh, but all she goes from like you know having her husband killed to she's just a tough badass who's gonna take care of this thing. And uh, you know, it just it wasn't interesting. I mean, she there's she has no qualms. She, not a second thought about running out onto the the top of the ship to try to shoot it off. Um, likewise, when they're tracking it down in the hallways, I mean, there's, there's, she's just running at it full steam ahead. There's no fear. There's nothing. And it just takes everything out. I mean, it's really flat the whole time. That though is a, is a symptom of just terrible third act, right? I mean, because I, for the most of the movie, I actually found I liked her. I find she has a, uh, like an intense kind of a charisma. I think she was doing good stuff on screen. I like her sort of, uh, the way she was uh, interacting with Billy Crudup. And, um, and, and so I, I was really interested in, in his sort of in the, the, his role kind of being the faithful leader and their interaction, uh, and but you're right. I mean, as soon as we we get into the big final set piece, it just goes all crazy and uh, absolutely insincere and unbelievable. It, it, they, they try to turn her into Ripley in the third act. But early on, when she's got her, you know, uh, when they have their dispute about whether to continue on or to follow this you know, mysterious signal to this planet that you know, for some reason wasn't on their scans, but looks like a a better option for colonization. And she's like fervently objecting, you know, and he's like trying to do something to keep the crew happy because he doesn't have their allegiance. You know, he he gives them a command. They violate his command. It's not a big thing, but you can tell he, it rubs him the wrong way. So he wants to do something to win them over. And and she's like flatly refusing. And I thought, what is her big objection to this? And I had to go back and realize, okay, it's this whole thing with her, you know, commitment to her husband to build the 
the cabin on the lake on there to sort of continue that legacy. We had to give her some reason to push back against this. So there was some, you know, some conflict about whether or not to go there so that, you know, he could have his moment of like, oh, my gosh, I made this huge mistake. He's questioning his leadership abilities. Again, there's the character pieces. But then by the end, we get it was like this really sharp cut to we're now, you know, Act three, we're back on the main ship, and oh, wow, there's an unknown, you know, presence on the ship. Let's go through the hallways and hunt it down and shoot it out the airlock again in a different way. It was just a retread of that, and to me it was, yeah, they tried to leverage her knowledge of the, whatever the terraforming machine or tractor or whatever it it was but that was <laughs> sort of her it was ridiculous my turf oh yeah exactly so it was you know clearly <laughs> something she was responsible for because we see earlier on she's got to secure it and you know okay we're introducing this machine where is it going to show up you know in act three but it, it just didn't follow I, di- I didn't get that transformation of her character to this you know the badass hunting the alien down in the hallways. Well, and and you know what, her years of engineering education that were displayed on screen in her opening and closing a door on a truck. Yeah, like that yeah. was not that was not the sort of emotional weight that I sort of hoped no. for. You know, here's the interesting thing: we're t- we're talking about the four most memorable characters that we've named. You've got Michael Fassbender, you've got Catherine Waterson, you got Billy Crudup, and Danny McBride, who are enjoyable in their you know in certain ways, but Still, they're not working together. They're memorable because I think we spend more time with them. But, yeah, there's still issues with these characters. I mean, Danny McBride is Tennessee who's, you know, worried about his wife and is going to take the ship, you know, the their lifeline to survival. I, he's going to take it into the storm to risk Ugh, everybody. That was dumb. Even all that the was colonists. another idiot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and that's that's kind of I, you know that's sort of what we get with the with the crew, right? I'm, is right. It, yeah. it was generally over emotional, and I think it was just amped up. Uh, you know, my sense of it is all of this is amped up because this is a Noah's Ark story, right? We we have to be right. in pairs, and what happens when we're not in pairs is tragedy and we're going to amp that up to 11 because of you know that's what we need to do to show it on screen and i i wasn't crazy about that either that whole sequence of him and and them trying to talk him out of it it was just ridiculous speaking just to characters and to the story and just kind of everything i just feel like i mean if you look at at, uh, there were a couple things that that happened in this that just really threw me um into this um headspace thinking about how Ridley Scott tells films and how he told alien and how, how patient he was telling his, uh, telling the story in that particular film. I mean, just the opening, you get those really slow, uh, uh, tracking shots through the ship you see it kind of waking up. You see the little, the bird dipper thing that's dipping its beak in the yep. water, all that sort of stuff. And everything is just, it has this beautiful pace and everything. And it's just like now he's just given up on all of that sort of, uh, you know, patience that he used to exhibit in his films. And I mean, he has similar shots in this one. I mean, you're zipping through the hallways and stuff and, and you see the little bird and everything, but everything feels like it's on fast forward. It's just moving so fast. The cuts are fast. I'm like, did you notice? I feel, I feel like he felt that way. He yeah. treated his characters that way. Everything he just treated that way. Let's just cram it all in there and just move on through. There was a there was a signal there, Andy. Did you notice how fast the Alien Covenant titles bars faded in? Oh, yeah. Like 
in the movie Alien, that was that was incredibly slow. And I'm watching this right. thinking, wow, why does he he just doesn't want to en- us to enjoy this? Like it was a beautiful spacescape, build some intensity here, uh, but yeah. it just rushed through. They just boom, 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 boom. Oh, look, Alien Covenant. I felt like I was watching a Star Trek movie. I exactly that was what the same thought went through my head. It's so funny. <laughs> well, he t- he's got a lot of places to take us. I mean, we've got we've got our little prologue that we're on the ship. We're on, so we're on the covenant, then we're on the planet, then we're in the Prometheus, and then we're in the big, you know, engineer city, and then the, and then back. So we're, I mean, we're in so many places. There's so much story. As we said, we're trying to cram it all in there. Um, so yeah, that's, it, it feels rushed. But thinking about all those places, all those settings, let's talk about the cinematography, about the look and feel of this film, because it's, Interesting that we have, I think, perhaps one of the first times we have the alien outside in daylight, because usually it's like dark corridors or, you know, in Alien 3, it's, you know, the, the prison planet and the hallways. Here, it's like they're running around outside in fields, the little neomorphs. We've got the xenomorph, you know, the fight outside the ship, like in daylight. It's a different look and feel for this type of film because it was much lighter. We we have moments of darkness, but you know, when they're in the fields, it almost reminded me like Jurassic Park, uh, you know, two or something where it's like we're we've got our crew tromping through the jungle, uh, you know, discovering, you know, you know, weird creatures. It had a different feel to it. So, I mean, is that look sort of a, appropriate for the franchise or is it giving us something again that we're not wanting out of this? I think that's well, exactly it. Yeah. I think that it's it, it's the this it's the. The split, it's this, you know, bastardized version of this story, of these two stories that uh, don't blend well together. I mean, same thing with Prometheus. I think the look of this one definitely fit with Prometheus, but I think everyone was kind of wanting that alien story to really start coming back to the forefront. And, you know, I mean, by the time we're getting chases through the dark hallways in the ship, it just, you know, it's not interesting anymore. You know, I I love Darius Wolski's work as cinematographer, and in you know I was a big fan of The Martian, and uh, you know if, if people ask me what do I think of Prometheus, I always start with the first five minutes. Like it is it is gorgeous, uh, the way he treats and and captures nature and the whole dissolution of the the engineer into the waterfall. I mean, I just find it a a beautiful experience to watch. And uh, like you say, Andy, it it is not it doesn't fit with the expectation. And I think my challenge is that it's so everything is so clean i mean this goes to production design and uh, you know the general effects and the the whole sort of experience of watching the film everything's really stays pretty clean and they make incredibly poor use of darkness like yeah there's some dark stuff caves are dark because we expect them to be dark but there is no point where they use darkness as a way to amp up the scare the thrill the sinister nature of the experience we're going through it just feels like i like you say steve you know we see the aliens so much out in in the open and i find that incredibly challenging i did not like it i think it it pulls away from uh the uh, the aesthetic 
of uh, that allows me to engage in something scary. Uh, I, you know, particularly the last run across the the uh, the the courtyard. You know, where the full grown alien is is galloping uh, toward the the loading skiff. Uh, I was it was comically ridiculous. It was something I discussed with my brother. You know, sort of the CGI and again the the cleanness that you get on a digital effect versus when you're working practical effects. And we talk about sort of the iconic chest burster. In the original one, it it you see it emerge from the chest and then it, it quickly dashes across. And here it's got this like stretching its limbs out and it's it's oh, like yeah. so clean. You know, it's like you could see the skin is sort of translucent and it's got like metallic or silver, you know, skeletal structure, but it's just it's not covered in, you know, guts and goo and blood it sort of just emerges and is like celebrating itself arms up raised and i thought what is that doing what that's not yeah what how these things are supposed to behave and then the the face huggers too you know the they worked well practical effects in alien and aliens and i think when the the one scene where it run the two guys are going down and it sort of scurries up the steps and it latches on they pry it off his face and the, the ass is eating through there were moments where i was like you've done the practical ones before they look good why are you giving us you know cgi ones scurrying across you know walls or or whatever it just didn't mm-hmm. you know it it wasn't necessary because we're willing to accept what we've seen before. The thing that I really, I, I didn't like about it is, first of all, I think they showed us the alien too many times. And, uh, you know, in the original film, even in Aliens, when they when they are born and they scurry off, we don't see them for a while. And so when yeah. they grow, we just are left with that lingering thing in the back of our he- heads, like, hey, these things grow pretty fast. But they showed us this full, like, shaped alien in right. bursting out yeah. of the chest. And the number of times we keep coming back to that alien we come back to it so many times that it starts to get confusing like how what are how many aliens are we chasing here or are are hunting us uh what you know it starts to look just ridiculous i'm totally with you without because they didn't change the form of the alien it came out of the chest sort of fully shaped yeah counter to when it bursts out in in alien it comes out as kind of a squiggly kind of squiddy monster right yeah uh with the with the head but it's mostly just a tail and the it's like a more right. of a larva, and it scoots off on into the bar. That that uh, I, I think it just it ends. It was a, a terrible choice for the design of the character to give us the fully shaped alien so early, yeah. coming right out of the chest. I thought it looked really silly, especially if this is supposed to be a prequel and leading to that. I mean, right. uh, the the evolution of it, or I shouldn't say the evolution, but the the metamorphosis of it once the the face hugger latches on um, all the way through the the full uh, adult size xenomorph. I mean, it was happening. In like what less than an hour like i, I right, don't know how yeah. quickly it was going and by the time you get to alien i mean it's much slower i mean the face hugger seems to be on for uh oh, days. days hours if not days like, right yeah and then and here it's like what 45 minutes yeah <laughs> it's like that, that. Yeah. yeah and then yeah. and then in alien remember they're walking around the hallways and they find like a shedded piece of skin as if yes. it's actually growing and shedding and i mean it made right. sense yeah. now all of a sudden it's like what is this thing doing why is it full-sized all of a sudden i mean it's just 
Uh, it's just nonsense. I, you know, I, mean, I, I I will say it to the to that point when you when you step away from the actual alien creature and go back to the spores that were early it, earlier in the film as they kind yeah. of tripped over the little spores and they they kind of flew around in the air and went into his ear. I I thought that was really compelling and I wanted to see more about how the about this alien as kind of a virus. I thought that was really cool. But they they like everything else in this film, they jammed that intensity right in the microwave and. And just played it fast forward. So yeah. here we go. Within a couple of minutes, now we've got violent acne bursting on that guy's back, and he's like they're coming apart. And now they're full grown alien creatures in the course of about ten minutes. And and it takes all of the the kind of satisfying like uh, jump and chills, uh, chill factor right out of the scene. I, it was. But I I did crazy. like the design of those. What you know you know oh the, yeah you know, yes. emerging out of the back the spikes and then sort of you know flopping on the ground there and we see two of them. You know, yeah, the design of those sort of albino neo xenomorphs is, I thought, was really interesting. The spores we have on the planet, and you know, the fact that the crew comments that there's no like animals, I'm thinking, okay, and we see that David's been experimenting. When they set off that homing beacon, I thought like tons of them were going to come out of the forest or whatever because he's been experimenting on. We see various you know, iterations of this. And if these spores are out there, I thought, where, where are the rest of them that over the past 10 yes. years, he, you know, cause he apparently, yeah. you know, he fires off that, you know, whatever flare or whatever that scares them away. And at first I'm thinking, Oh, okay. He's been here. He's, you know, knows how to defend himself against these things and scare them off. So I'm expecting, you know, he's in his fortress, like, and there's, you know, roaming, you know, hordes of these things out there, but we, we have the two, that emerged from the crew and then the one from in the basement there. And that's it. I'm like, well, then what happened to all the animals? Especially if you look at like uh, one of the posters for this, it looks like, you know, this, this really interesting image of just like a wall of aliens. I mean, it's just oh, yeah. this really creepy image that, yeah, it leads to kind of thinking that there are going to be a lot more of these things running around. Um, I, I mean, Going back to the viruses and, and that, I, I really did like that as an idea. And I do like the idea of these these kind of being this virus. And I mean, it, you even get some of that in Alien 3 where it goes on to a dog and you get a much more dog-like alien. Right. I think oh, that's yeah. a really interesting element. And I loved that they had kind of uh, – I don't know if they devolved to – since there were was no more life on the planet, they basically devolved to, well, we're just going to be spores because that's you know all that we really can – do now and and then as they kind of spread they kind of evolve into other things um it's, it is really interesting stuff but um again just just misused and and used too quickly in so many ways see it, that is a movie i would watch though and it's a perfect oh, movie absolutely. for a big cast right you get rid of the, the the fully grown aliens and let's instead talk about you know alien as this virus that destroys and we can watch these people come apart over the course of two hours, I would be really interested in that. And this is the perfect time, culturally resonant, to have that kind of a movie. Instead, it, it just went... I, I wish, I wish more than anything else that I could go back in time <laughs> before I knew what the damn fully grown alien looked like. Now that I know what it looks like, it's just silly. It's just silly. The head is the most interesting thing on it, the head and the tail, and Alien uh, was a movie that absolutely capitalized on on not showing me all of the Alien uh, and showing it in such a dark and obscured way that I never quite got my head around. Now, I, I know what the fully grown thing looks like. Show me something new. Absolutely. Yeah. I yield my time. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> We've been talking a lot about, you know, movies and themes in the scores. And so I've been listening to to the, the score for this one. And actually I've been enjoying it. I I I don't have as good an ear as Andy to identify, you know, themes. And I haven't listened back to I, I don't recall. There's not like an iconic alien, you know theme to to the movies but i i did appreciate in this one and i think it was sort of playing to you know the musical instruments that that david has created there's a lot of you know wind instruments throughout the score that add sort of a sort of creepy otherworld atmosphere but i thought tied into you know hit that scene between david and walter showing him you know how to play a musical instrument how to create something and so i thought that worked well it it other than that, you know, listening to it, I'm like, oh, wow, I really enjoy this, but I can't peg it to any specific scenes or like, oh, this, you know, this moment really played, music played really well to that. Other than, of course, we've got the, the Wagner, you know, as, as David enters into where, you know, he's going to do his work with his, you know, new little alien embryos. Um, I don't know if there was anything else that uh, you may have noticed about the score. Well, Jed. Kurzel uh, did the score, and uh, he's, uh, I believe, an Australian uh, composer and uh, just musician um, who recently did The Babadook and Slow West and Assassin's Creed, uh, also with Fassbender. An interesting choice. He actually ended up replacing Harry Gregson Williams, um, a recent speakeasy guest um, who had been working with Ridley Scott a little bit more recently. I, I, you know, what I enjoyed about it is that there was more integration with music from some of the other films. Jerry Goldsmith's uh, theme from Alien uh, comes in quite a number of times, which was really nice to hear. Also, he pulled some of the themes from uh, from Prometheus, um, which which I did like. I liked that everything was kind of blending together. Um, the thing that frustrated me the most about that is there's um, a beautiful theme that Mark Streitenfeld wrote for Prometheus. That for this frustrates me so much in movies, and I just I, it, I I don't understand the logic, because David on his little wind instrument, he's playing the theme that Mark Streitenfeld wrote for Prometheus. I know. What did David pull up the score from the movie and listen to it to play it? It's like it's so I, oh, ridiculous. That's, that's shot. I have a tin oh. ear. I didn't even catch that. So well, okay. listen to yeah, listen yeah, to okay. The, I think on the on the Prometheus soundtrack, it's the open. You know, okay. that's that's pretty common. I guess you guys don't remember when uh, Dreyfus was out on the boat singing da dum, da dum, da dum, da dum, da dum, da 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 da. No, it happens all the time. <laughs> no, it happens, but it's an illogical thing, and it's just stupid when people do that. I don't it is understand. Really the logic. stupid. Yeah. One last thing that I, that I was thinking about, it was really interesting that they started introducing some of Jerry Goldsmith's themes because this is kind of a prequel and it's leading up to it and we get more of the alien and the creation and everything. But I was wondering, you know, when John Williams went back to do the prequels, I mean, he found really interesting ways to take themes and and kind of develop them in a backward way so that he could kind of build them into the themes in the uh, in episodes four, five and six. I really liked that. I didn't quite get that here, and that was one thing that I was I was hoping I'd hear a little bit more of once I started hearing some of Jerry Goldsmith's themes. Was oh, is he is there going to be a way that he's going to take that and kind of evolve it in a way where it'll kind of continue developing into what we're going to know as oh. the 
notes, but I didn't catch that. And that was something as much as I enjoyed hearing those themes, I, I was a little disappointed that I didn't hear that. I, the same thing can be said for, uh, you know, a little bit more blatantly. I think Michael Giacchino has a has kind of an ear for that sort of thing and has worked on a lot of these, you know, prequelish thing show uh, films. Uh, and and I really like it. I wish I, I was thinking the same thing, Andy. I, I really did. But to your point, I, I think he did a, a really fair job, Kurzel, at at making this sound like an alien score. I do agree with you. I went Friday night, 7 o'clock, and the theater was like half full, which surprised me because it's an alien movie and it's it's it should be drawing in big crowds, I would hope. Or maybe Prometheus killed off, you know, a lot of the, the interest in this. How was it where where you saw it? I, I saw uh, IMAX. I just saw it today, uh, kind of Sunday afternoon. Um, it was really sparse. I was really surprised at how thin the crowd was. Um, but you know, I don't know. I, I wasn't sure what to expect. I, I kept hearing, um, that there were a lot of, uh, you know, it was, it was doing really well that it had kind of eked out ahead of guardians of the galaxy volume two. Um, but I don't know. Uh, it just, I, it didn't seem that way when I saw it at the theater. Gosh, uh, you know, I, I guess I'm the counterexample. I went, uh, at, you know, 10 o'clock on a Friday morning opening day, uh, here in the States and, you know the theater I I hit was the it it wasn't 3D it wasn't IMAX it was the the you know Regal premiere yeah. experience right the RPX and and it was um they had renovated it so it's hard to say like it looked really full but all the seats are the big recliners now oh, all, okay. yeah. so so there are only three back rows of this uh, in the entire okay. theater and then you have the big split and you have like f- five front rows all the back rows were full uh Friday okay. 10 a.m. And the, I would say, just rough estimate, that the front you know, five rows were probably a third full, which is a lot for a 10 a.m. Friday morning, even open yeah, weekend. That is, yeah, really. that surprised that me. That's, that's yeah. the, the diehard fans that yeah. wanted to make sure they saw it early. Okay. Or were too scared to see it late at night. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. That, that's a whole other category. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we forgot to talk about the title. Because we, we, you know, we, it's Alien covenant and uh you know we had prometheus and we i think there you know people made a lot out of you know what that title meant and you know Wayland's you know quest to you know steal immortality from the gods and all that and here it's alien covenant what yeah, the heck I, does that mean why that title well i mean I, I was looking up on uh on the web as far as the definition it's and there's a you know, I mean, the basic definition is an agreement usually formal between two or more persons to do right. or not do something specified. But there is a biblical also a definition, the conditional right. promises made to humanity by God as revealed in Scripture. Uh, so I was like, OK, so again, maybe it's just Scott kind of hitting hitting us over the head a little too obviously with his references for these kind of religious or uh, this connection between humanity and its creator. Um, as far as uh, what he's trying to say here. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure we need these titles. I'm sure he could come up with something else, but... A- Alien Ark of the Covenant. Like, you know, it's yeah. a bit too much. <laughs> yeah, because I, I was trying to figure out if it's the, the agreement between David and, you know, his creator about fulfilling this quest to find humanity's creator, but he strays from that by destroying the engineers. And then I thought, is it the agreement... Between the, David uh, which, as taking the role of taking the hand of creator, right. becoming the creator right. uh, with his creation. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it, but, but it's the name of the ship, you know, so I'm like the covenant. So that's, you know, what 
you know, people on Earth named that ship. So it's what they were their agreement to go forth and, you know, colonize a planet. They've made this agreement to to fulfill their their mission. You know, it is I, an art after all. I mean, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, it is. Uh, yeah, it's it's yeah. the yeah. Nope. I think trying trying to strive for something and and giving people not what they wanted or falling short of clearly communicating what you're trying to do. Yeah, this is one of those that I feel like uh, you know after we we saw Prometheus, we did Prometheus. After people chewed on it for a while, I, there were some theories that came out just that were super relevant and resonant and made a lot of sense. And I, I feel like this is one of those movies that I'll probably chew on. Bottom line, I mean, I liked it more than Prometheus. There was there was enough going on that that I was entertained by that I, I liked it more than than you know uh, that which spawned it. And, uh, and, and so, you know, I'm not saying I'm not going to, I'm going to rush out and see it again in the theater, but you know, but it, you'll rush it, out and see the the next one that Ridley Scott has stated he's got ready to go. Only if we do a show on it, will I, will I rush, you know, <laughs> I'll see it, but you know, he hasn't, he hasn't lured you in saying, well, look, I, Prometheus was okay. This next one is better. So the next one. No, I still call this. I I feel like he has broken his covenant uh, with he's the people. He's broken his covenant to okay. me. I mean, really, he's certainly broken it with me. This is not like he's clearly has a different interest in the kind of movies he wants to make in this universe. That I feel like I don't need to uh, to to rush out and be a be a part of it. I I'm I am just fine, kind of sitting back and and watching this. Um, kind of, I, I wanted it to be a return to form for the series, and you know, I I, I think it's it's more pornography than art. You know, I mean, it's it is more the visual spectacle than uh, the the cultural statement. Absolutely, it just uh, I, he he is trying to get some big ideas and big themes into yeah. these, and uh, it's just not the series to do it. He really should just find something else to to get his ideas out because I feel like he's taking a franchise and um, just you know hurting the overall franchise. I mean, I guess it already had the Alien versus Predator. Uh, injuries to it, and there were plenty of other. <laughs> do you know what uh, though? Iterations. Like, I, I don't. I are you guys? Do you guys include those when you say you know? Oh, the Alien movies. Do you include AVP? No, no. no. I, mean, but, I don't no, at all. But, they don't but, even enter my mind. No, no. But clearly, they were films that. I mean, honestly, they were just designed to be pure fun. It was like let's yeah. get these. T- it's like Freddy versus right. Jason. It's yeah. yes. You know, it's just it's silly nonsense. But um, no, I was just being cheeky. Uh, but still. Uh, Alien uh, Resurrection already uh, was uh, problematic. You know there have been issues with the with the franchise. Um, I just I keep feeling like Ridley Scott's an interesting uh, person. I mean he started the the series and he's made a lot of interesting films. It'd be great to get him back in here. And now that he is, I'm like gosh, now I kind of regret having wished that. <laughs> <laughs> this would be a great series to start bringing in some some other new uh, new talent. Yes, uh, this, this would be a great series for that. The other thing we have to come back to is, is this the right sort of medium for this? Is it, you know, theatrical release or is he trying to get something larger that perhaps fits into like a a series, you know, instead of trying to cram all this story into two hours, is this something, give it some room to breathe, expand the universe that now that, you know, you know, streaming series and, and cable series give, you know, room for that. And people, audiences are willing to show up to those things and, you know, big numbers when it's quality stuff. I mean, maybe that's, you know, the decision, you know, filmmakers have to start considering is, is this a story that can be told in 120 minutes or is this a bigger story that 
to give the characters in this world the time that it needs to break it into like a 10, you know, 10 hour series, throw it up on Hulu or Netflix, Amazon, something like that to, to give the story, the room perhaps that they want to tell. They need that breathing room for that big of a story rather than just cramming everything into a, you know, a two hour contrived mess. Yeah. That's a really good point, Steve. I, you know, I think that's, uh, I think that's, I would watch that show. How about that? Andy, how did it do? You said it It sounded like it was going to beat out Guardians this weekend. Is that? That's that's what I had heard. Um, you know, it's always just a prognostication. Yeah. Who really knows? But um, I mean, it uh, it had a production budget of like 97 million. I think I, I read that it was like a total spent was, uh, you know, close to twice that as of today it's made 36 million in the u.s and 80 almost 82 million uh, everywhere else so since it's opened i mean it started opening what may 4th i think over in london and it's made uh, as of today about 120 million so i mean it's likely going to make its money back and ridley will be making another one of these soon all right well i guess the only thing left to do with this thing is to crack it open and rank it Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. So we want to everybody head over to flickchart.com slash TNR film board for our rankings of all our film board films. Let's see where this one shows up. All right. First up, it's a, an interesting, uh, an interesting I, one. I know. Alien <laughs> Covenant or The Circle. That's that's hilarious because that's where when I went to rank it on my own chart. That's the first thing that came up as well. Yes. So I know where you're going to go. I have a feeling. Do you? (laughs) So, because you were, you were really angry last month. I know. And I'm, I'm really angry this month. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. (laughs) I am probably going to go alien though. Yeah. Only because it's a franchise (laughs) that I will watch, you know, I'll rewatch it and I will shake my fist at it. Anyway, <laughs> I'm Alien Covenant as well. I, I, there, there are problems, but I think it's something that it, it didn't give me, it didn't make me angry a lot. There's things where you can sit back and enjoy some, some moments in it. It's one that falls flat, but isn't horrible. But it's, it's you know, amusing and entertaining. And I'll probably watch it a few more times and hopefully discover some more things about it. So there's no question. It's absolutely alien. <laughs> I have like I have flashbacks of Tony Monero when I think about the circle. <laughs> what? I, I think about Tony Monero dropping a healthy number two on a suit when I think about the circle. Except it's the circle. <laughs> okay. I just don't. I just didn't want Alien Covenant to be in our top half, but uh, you know I couldn't put it you, over. Yeah. No, oh, you well. can't do that. Yeah. All right. Alien Covenant or Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Definitely apes for me. Apes over aliens. Apes over aliens, yes. Wait, wait do you see Dawn of the Planet of the Apes versus Aliens? <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Oh, waiting for that day, Pete. Waiting for that day. <laughs> okay, Alien Covenant or Looper? Looper. Looper. Okay. <laughs> I st- you know, I, I've seen Looper twice, and I, it, I'm still like, eh, it's all right. It's not. I, I wanted something that wowed me, and I'm like, yeah, it's all right. I could go either way on this one. I'm fine with that. Alien Covenant or Snowden? Snowden. Uh, Snowden. Yeah. Deep. Really? Are we there? Yeah, okay. I think so. I think. Yeah, I, I enjoyed Snowden. I mean, it's a it'd be a gentleman's win anyway. I you yeah. know. Okay. Okay. Snowden. All right. Alien Covenant or side effects? Side effects, please. Side effects. Yeah. Side effects. Yeah. Okay. Because I, th- I think with Snowden side effects, it's clear that there's something that the movie's trying to tell us, and here we. 
we're still not clear what we're supposed to take away from this thing. Well, this will be a fun one. Alien Covenant or The Finest Hours. <laughs> oh, Alien Covenant. I will watch that. I have no desire to see The Finest Hours again. <laughs> you guys, I am definitely Finest Hours. I think you guys are way too hard on it. I I uh, I would say Finest Hours also. <laughs> That's right, Andy. Oh, You'll watch The sorry. Finest Hours like she did. Exactly. <laughs> I'll watch The Finest Hours just to have that thought run through my head. You know, parenthetically, I have to say, it's not like uh, Alien Covenant is immune from The Finest Hour-isms. There was a lot where uh, it just feels like Ridley Scott has said, you know what, I think since 1979, audiences have gotten so stupid that I'm practically going to give them a diagram of what's going to go on in the movie because I don't think they're going to get it. Alien was such a great film about showing us just what was on screen, and Covenant failed they just tell us everything i'm sorry he did give us diagrams remember she unrolled them all on the table that's right right. she did she unrolled them all on the table just like she did like she did well that lands alien covenant at spot 29 out of 58 so it's it's now kind of right in that middle zone uh, smashed between the finest hours and the circle wow Uh, yes we're we're gonna see this again I have oh, to yes. see where I have to see where this uh, where Prometheus uh, ended up on our chart. I'm very curious now. Let's see. Prometheus is uh, number forty. Oh, wow. mm, so this okay. this landed eleven slots higher than Prometheus. Okay. Yeah, you know that feels about right. I don't know. Does I feel not like feel I would, that right to you? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, I ranked Prometheus uh, three and a half stars out of five last time, which I think is way too generous for that film. I wow, think two and a half. It's a one and, and a half star for me. Two, Two and a half to one, yeah, to two is where I'd put Prometheus now. And I think I'm being more right on the money with this one. And I'm going to say, I'm just going to give this one a, a one and a half right now. Steve, you nailed it. I did. I did. Really I did. know. I, I nailed that. Okay. Yes. I was like, he's, no way is he right. He totally <laughs> <right>. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm with you. In fact, I've been, as we have been recording this, I've been changing my star rating because I just, oh, no. I'm really vacillating on this. It's been going up a half star and down a half star, down another half star, well, maybe back up a half star. Uh, I landed on a two star uh, review for Alien Covenant. And, and again, that is an improvement over the one and a half star for Prometheus. I did not like either of them. I'm going to give it two and a half. I mean, it's it's maybe on viewing it again, I might, if I find something more to it, it could push me up to a three or it could go down to two. Because there are things that I did enjoy, but, uh, you know, on, you know, reflection and, you know, coming back to see it on a second time, it may reveal more flaws, but I'll, I'll settle for the two and a half for right now. And is that a yeah. like, or is that a two and a half, but you liked it, or two and a half, but you don't like it? Oh, it's two and a half, but I liked it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we've got the no, the no likes uh, taking it on that. Yeah, one. I think so too. For an average. Well, that gives us an average of two stars. Two stars, no like. Two stars, sorry, no sorry. like. <laughs> <laughs> I, you oh, know that that yeah. feels about right. Have you uh, have you all posted your reviews on uh, Letterboxd uh, so that we can we can pass those around? Uh, I haven't, but I will uh, after the show. 
I've been holding off now because I don't want people to look until the show's out. So No, I, I totally failed. I wrote a whole bunch of them yesterday, and I accidentally posted them without thinking, and now they're just up there. So I'm, I'm caught up. But, <laughs> and it's uh, out there on the internet. And it's just you can't out there, yeah. So right. I, I posted it yesterday, but um, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to hold off now from, from now on because that's what – because Andy did. <laughs> Steve, are you, are you posting your reviews? I have not. I, you know, I should. It's one of those things that I, I can rank it and that's easy, but the, the time to sit down and, and do that. And I keep coming back to, I, I don't know that I want to revisit my, <laughs> my personal journal on films to realize I didn't know what I was talking about when I saw that movie the first time. <laughs> Although it's it's intriguing, so I'm... You know, I'm that's what I have to say, Steve. Yeah. One of the things I like so much about Letterboxd is that every time you watch the movie, yeah. you get a chance to log and edit and create a new review. Yeah. And that yes. has really changed my opinion because I'm I'm feeling like I'm, I'm going to go forward and, and feel good about saying, okay, I, I watched again, I've changed my tune. Yeah, okay. And I, I like that too because like I said with, uh, with Prometheus, I, I still have it at three and a half stars, but I'm like, gosh, I really should rank that lower. But I'm like, well, hold off till I watch it again. And if so, then I'll make a note of that. But, you know, I, I like knowing that at least when I watched it, I thought it was a three and a half star film. So, you know, yeah. I, there, I think there's a benefit. Agreed. Right. Everybody else should do that too. And you should come, come find us uh, on, on Letterboxd and, uh, and share your reviews if you haven't, because that's, that's what we're, that's the thing we're doing now. It is. You're here. It, here, here. So next up, what have we? What have you guys got coming up uh, uh, next on the the main show? Uh, we are right in the middle of our uh, return to the Hayao Miyazaki series. We're going to be oh, talking yeah. about uh, Spirited Away, um, one of his uh, most popular films, and uh, just a couple more in that series. But uh, we're enjoying it so far. And I saw that on Slack, it led into an interesting discussion about subtitles that had, that I had <laughs> not expected because I was trying to explain this. To uh, to my brother, he said, "Well, how did this whole like debate about subtitles?" I said, "I I think it came from the Miyazaki series about watching it subtitled versus dubbed and people's preferences." And so it's interesting to see sort of how the discussion, how people have sided on the subtitled versus you know dubbed debate. So it's something that you know those people that are in that Slack group get to you know engage with us in debate. So which is I find very entertaining. Absolutely. <laughs> if you too would like to debate subtitles versus dubbing. That sounds like <laughs> that sounds like a conversation only three people are interested in. <laughs> Come on, seriously, you guys, it's that good. Subtitles versus dubbing. <laughs> it's film nerd conversation. It is film nerd. It is. <laughs> hey, I'm right at home. Right at home. That's right. And what do we have coming? We've got. Uh, we're going to be visiting Tom Cruise and the Mummy next month. If I. That's right. That's right. Information so, correct. So, yeah, another monster movie, another attempt to scare JJ. So, can and another wait. Tom Cruise movie. We'll see if we like it better than uh, Jack, Jack Reacher. Reacher. Jack Reacher. Uh, yeah, whatever the. We'll thing have to see called. how much how much running he does in the Mummy. We'll have to see if it fulfills. <laughs> as far as I know, <laughs> he just desire. spends most of his time crashing. This movie is about crashing. <laughs> There's oh, a lot of crashing oh, but in the Steve, you don't know about the trailers, I imagine. So j- trust me, it's no crashing. Oh, I. D- I, I did see the trailer without sound, so I did see that. Oh, good. Video. All right. So All that right. was, yes. Crashing. <laughs> so either you listen to it with your eyes closed, so you're you're hearing it with no pictures, or you're watching, <laughs> you're watching, it, with watching no it with no sound. <laughs> <laughs> so any last comments? Round final thoughts? I, I just wish that um, the return to the Alien franchise was what I wanted it to be. I just don't feel like uh, we're getting it, um, particularly with this film. 
I enjoyed uh, the return to you know really having aliens in a film, but uh, I just didn't get that actual movie that I wanted. I, I really wanted to see Aliens, and uh, something that made reminded me of the films that we saw that uh, from '79 and '86, just not uh, not this. And uh, you know, I like that he's pursuing some ideas that he's kind of thinking about, but. Um, I'd rather have him do that in a different film. So you're sounding like a grumpy old man. I want it like back when I was a kid, not this new <laughs> stuff. <laughs> this new fangled thinking. Exactly. There should be no thinking in my horror movies. None. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm with Andy. I'm disappointed because it just feels, uh, it feels uh, empty for my expectation. I recognize that's my expectation. And it's interesting as you look at the people behind the screenplay. You know, John Logan in particular, he's up for the next, uh, for writing the next Bond film. I mean, there's just the the, the team behind this uh, has done some some fantastic work in terms of screenwriting and have had some dogs. And I feel like I'm I'm sad to say this feels like one of the dogs. Well, you know, out there in the vastness of space, no one can hear you scream in anguish of your frustration with Ridley Scott. Even Ridley can't hear you scream. (laughs) Exactly. So everyone, thank you for listening. Drop a dollar for us on Patreon. You can get in on that subtitles versus dub debate. Give us a rating and review on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. And no matter if it's a question or a comment, we love hearing from you. So drop us a line, Twitter, Facebook. We're here for you. Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. Thenextreel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to thenextreel.com slash originals and get your next read today. (laughs) 